Let's pray together. Hosanna, son of David, save us, we pray. We see you marching before us and we wave our palm branches and with earnestness and sincerity, we say, you are our hope, you're our rock. We want to be part of your kingdom. We, we trust you as our king. We want you to lead us to flourishing and we trust that you're gonna do that as you open your word. So Lord, I pray that you would fill our minds and imaginations with your truth, your, your beauty, your goodness, so that uh, this Holy Week, we can follow you all the way to and through the cross. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus, amen. Please be seated. It's great to see you all, and uh, welcome to Holy Week here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. If I haven't met you, my name is Father Aaron Damiani, and I'd love to... uh, just journey the whole week with you. We're here Monday, Thursday. We're here Good Friday, both at 7 o'clock. We're here next Sunday, of course, for Easter at 9 and 11. And we are following Jesus together. So it's fitting that we're ending our series today on Palm Sunday when we celebrate Jesus' kingship. We're talking about security. We're going to rest our hopes on in very uncertain times. So you can you can turn in your Bibles to Matthew 7 as we, uh, as we consider that question. What are we going to build our life on? Matthew 7, uh, or your bulletins also have this as well. Any Floridians here, original Floridians? All right, we got at least one, two, uh, maybe, maybe some more uh, hiding. Um, so I've been reading about Florida this week and found that there's basically two kinds of home builders in the state of Florida. The planners and the pretenders. Now, the planners know that hurricane season is coming. They know that hurricane season will eventually be as bad as it's ever been, and that the home they build will need to withstand on that evil day. So they spend more upfront costs on expensive materials like fortified roofs and missile-resistant glass not just bullet-resistant glass, missile-resistant glass. That's what you need. And reinforced concrete pillars. They're more meticulous in their building. They're more exacting in their building. They pay a higher upfront cost to get those homes up. Those are the planners. And then there are the pretenders. And the pretenders are a whole different class of, of home builders altogether. They think to themselves, you know what, maybe... The hurricane season next year, following years, won't be as bad as it used to be. I know back in 2005, we had a bad one, but it's been over a decade, haven't seen, you know, it's been, chances are it's going to hit further south, right? Chances are, uh, we'll, with, you know, we'll, we'll hold up. I know dozens of people whose homes were fine. Everyone was like, oh, so scared and, and stuff, but, but all their homes are still there, um, Chances are I'll, I'll ride it out. After all, right now, it's 75 degrees. The water is flat as a pancake. And it's been great for a long time. So why go through all of that extra trouble and money? I can build a better house with less money and spend the remainder on a sailboat. Right now, today. In the short term, the pretenders have a lot less pain. 
and they get more house for the money. But what about the long term? Who's better off in the long term, the preparers or the pretenders? Well, consider the 2017 hurricane season. According to one report, it was a hyperactive, deadly, and extremely destructive season, featuring 17 storms, the fifth most active season since records began. All of the 10 seasons hurricanes occurred in a row. The greatest number of consecutive hurricanes in the satellite era and tied for the greatest number of consecutive hurricanes ever observed in the Atlantic Basin since records began in 1851. In addition, it was by far the costliest season on record. With a preliminary total of approximately 281 billion in damages. That is $100 billion higher than the total of the 2005 season. Now, which homes do you think were left standing? The ones built by the preparers or the ones built by the pretenders? The planners were wise. They, not only did they know history, not only did they listen to wise instruction, but they planned accordingly. They took action, costly action. They planned The pretenders, not so much. Maybe they had heard all the reports. Maybe they kind of knew logically kind of what uh, was good when you built a home in Florida, but they didn't act on it. They didn't act on it. They chose to kid themselves. And we can all do this. They kid themselves that it's not really going to impact them. We open our text this morning, according to Jesus, hurricane season is coming. For all of us, it's not going to come further south. We're not going to write it out. There's going to be a stress test on the integrity of our life that's going to test what we've built our life upon, what we've built our meaning upon. And there are some of our lives that are going to be left standing, and some of them will be utterly flattened and destroyed in the process. The storm could be as simple as a personal betrayal, a leader you trust falls or betrays your trust in some way and it devastates you. Or someone you gave your heart to breaks up with you and they don't give a good reason. Or someone that you look to in your family or some, some person that was a guiding light for you, they're gone. You can't look to them anymore. And it's devastating. The storm could be an unexpected illness. And now we think we're above this, those of us who are relatively young. But, you know, illnesses happen all the time. There's, there's, uh, there's sudden injuries that you weren't expecting. There's chronic pain you weren't expecting. There's mental suffering that all of a sudden hits you. It could devastate your finances and your relationships. The storm could be the loss of a loved one, the death of a dream, any kind of adversity that we face. And then there's the storm of standing before God, on the other end of this life, when he's like, give me an account of your life. Like, who can withstand that storm when the integrity of our life will will be shaken and tested and sifted before the holiness of God? You think, oh, that probably is not going to happen. God's too loving. How do you know that you won't be evaluated before a living and holy God? Yes, he's loving. But Jesus himself talks about this judgment. There are many storms, some of them coming now, some of them coming later. Will our life stand the test 
of those storms or will they be swept away? And it all depends on what we do with Jesus, his life, his instruction to us about our life, his sacrificial outpouring of love for us to forgive our sins, his resurrection to give us future hope, to turn the world inside out with love and compassion and justice? Will we be wise and pay attention and heed those words, or will we be foolish and simply be inspired by those words, simply challenged by those words, but never really taking action, passively, aggressively going, hmm, that's really interesting, Jesus, but I'm keeping my options open. What are we going to do? Will we prepare or will we pretend Listen to the words of Jesus. He says in Matthew 7, verse 24, everyone then, he's here, he's ending his masterful Sermon on the Mount where he's describing what a full and rich human life looks like. And and then along the way, he's gonna show us what it looks like in his death and resurrection. He says this in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. He's gonna contrast it here, verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Oh, epic was the fall of that house. Now listen, we've got two houses here, and both of them are completed. Both of them offer some kind of shelter. Both of them offer some kind of uh, a provision. Both builders uh, are successful in some way in constructing a life but the building standards are vastly different and those building standards are going to reveal themselves in the storm. Let's consider the foolish house. What are the, what is the uh, building standards of the foolish builder's house? Well, first we have what I might call the shoddy foundations of shifting pursuits, okay? Oh yeah, the shoddy foundations of shifting pursuits. Verse 26, there's a foolish man, foolish woman, who built their house on the sand. Now, the sand here is not, oh, beach sand, like, oh, who's stupid enough to build your house on the beach? You know, no one should do that. Okay, it's not a sand castle. This is topsoil in the Middle East here. This is just, you know, readily available soil that you can just immediately start building your foundation on. You don't have to do any digging. You don't have to, you don't have to do any, necessarily any prep work. You just find an available plot of land and you put your foundation on it. The problem is that the, that the sand or the topsoil is by its very nature a changing reality. It shifts over time. And when it shifts, if you build your foundation on it, your life is gonna have to shift with it. And it may not shift in the way you want it to. For instance, we might build the foundation of our life on the sand of our physical appearance. We could do everything possible to eat a perfect diet, to have a perfect workout regimen, to have the, the best wardrobe ever, but not tr- looking like we're trying too hard, but we're still pretty awesome. 
the best, uh, the best makeup, the best everything. And that, but the thing is, that's shifting sand. Don't you realize this? That all of us have aging bodies that eventually it's going to look ridiculous if we keep this up. Now, physical uh, care is, is a good thing. God wants us to, to rightly steward and care for the, the gift of, the, of our bodies that he's given us. But if we set the foundation of our life on how we look, that's a shifting foundation. That's shoddy work. We didn't really think it through. Or what about the sand of personal relationships? We're like, you know what? No matter what happens, there's a special person in my life, and we're like this, and they're gonna be with me through thick and thin, and they, they've called me up, and they've affirmed me, or they love me, and they'll be with me forever. No matter what storms hit, this person's gonna be my missile-ready um, windows. They're gonna, be, they're gonna be my foundation, and I can rest in them. The problem is that people change. Don't, don't, I mean, some of our best leaders let us down. Some of our best uh, family members will, will pass away before we expect them to. And it's kind of a, it's a, it's a shoddy foundation for us to build our life on the approval or the acceptance or, or, the, or the stability of that one special person or that special group that we just look to for our security. That's going to shift over time. What about money? Now, money feels secure. It really does. It can make problems go away. But to set the foundation of your life on money, money's gonna change. If you have a retirement account or any kind of, you know that money's like, wow, based on irrational factors, okay? Money can fly away so fast. Money can be stolen. It can be taken. You can't take it with you before God. But it feels so right there. Like, if I just had enough money, I would feel secure. But that's a shoddy foundation. It's going to shift over time. How things are going with your sports team. Don't put the foundation of your life based on Loyola and Sister Jean. (laughs) Don't. They're probably not going to be in the final four next year. How things are going politically, is it going in your favor, is it not going in your favor? Setting the hope, the foundation of your life on something, how things are going with your sports team, with your favorite politician, how things are going culturally, are they going for, in your favor, trending really well, um, or is it bending in the direction of injustice? Why would you set the foundation of your life on things that are bound to change? Shoddy foundations are inherently unstable. It's gonna make you unstable. So don't pretend that sand isn't gonna shift. Let's also consider, get ready, the patchy walls of pretending. Okay, alliteration, you're in danger of it every Sunday here, okay? The patchy walls of pretending. What are the patchy walls of pretending? Well, if you build walls on a shoddy foundation that shifts, what's gonna happen to your walls, okay? If they're made of brick, they're going to shift. There's going to be holes. There's gonna, you're going to do a lot more tuck pointing. If they're made of plaster, you're going to be doing a lot of plastering. You're going to be doing a lot of patching of the holes that result from all the shifting that happens underneath you. And you're going to have to pretend, put lots of energy forward to pretend that things are better than they actually are. Yeah, I'm happy. Oh, yeah, I'm totally committed to the cause. Oh, yeah, our marriage is great. Everything's fine. So we curate our image on social media really carefully to present this image like, yeah, the foundation I chose, it's going great, it's going really well, couldn't be happier, couldn't be better. 
and we pretend. It's inauthentic. Shoddy foundation, patchy walls. And on that, we're like, well, you know what? Maybe those things aren't the greatest, but if I could only just thunk on there the heavy wall of, or the heavy roof of power, then my life would be complete. If I just had that heavy roof of power, if someone just recognized my gifts, put me in a leadership position, gave me the microphone, gave me the promotion, then my life would be complete. All I need to do is I just need to get affirmed. I just need to get put forward. I just need to finally be able to implement all the great and brilliant ideas I got from my education, all the great and brilliant ideas I got from, uh, from just being an awesome person. And if only I would just be put in power, then my life would be complete. Or crushed. I think one of the worst storms to hit that house is the storm of success. Have you ever heard of someone or observed someone who had their life built on shifting foundations and worked to keep up appearances and got lots of power and then all of a sudden they were successful? More often than not, that storm knocks the house down in this life. But just in case it doesn't, Jesus refers to someone like this in the final day who wants to be a part of his kingdom. He says um, in our text here on verse, in verse 22, he imagines this scenario. Verse 22, on that day, the final day, many will, come, oh, will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Now, the thing is, Jesus doesn't say, no, you didn't. That's a lie. He's like, verse 23, then I will declare to them, I didn't know, I never knew you. Who are you? Did we ever interact? Or were you just in this for the powerful ministry? See, these people had this great anointing on their life. Everyone around them were like, yeah, this person, if you have spiritual problems, go to them. And yet at the foundation of their life, when all was said and done, the whole thing just was a farce. They didn't know Jesus and they weren't known by him. And great was the fall of their house. Now, hurricane season's coming. It's not gonna go south of us and we're not gonna write it out in the end. But the good news is that Jesus describes a house that all of us can build, no matter where we've come from today, no matter what our background is or what our hopes have been in. Jesus says, no, there's a house that you can build. You'd be like a wise woman, a wise man, a wise person. You can build a house like this, and let me tell you how it's done. He shows us and teaches us how to build this house. Verse 24 of Matthew 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Let's consider the construction of the wise man's house. First of all, the wise man's house has a deep foundation of repentance. A wise woman's house has a deep foundation of repentance. The rock here in verse 24 is... Uh, it's the rock that you find um, in, in, in the Middle East when, you're, when you dig beneath the surface. 
when you do the hard, ex- the, the excruciating excavating work of removing all of the surface topsoily stuff and you get down to the, to, the, to the granite rock surface that you can build something solid on. That's what Jesus is talking about. The rock here, of course, is Jesus Christ, his life, his brilliant teachings about what it means to be fully human, his, uh, his example, his death for us, his resurrection for us, him interceding for us before the Father right now, him advocating before the Father when we uh, see him face to face. This is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone that the builders rejected, that is, that is actually the chief cornerstone. It's him. And so when we build a foundation of repentance, we are broken over our sin. Sometimes we're broken over our sin for weeks and months, maybe even years. Is that too long to build a foundation of repentance? Casting ourselves completely on Jesus, casting aside all surface pursuits that as the foundation are getting in the way. Some of you here today may know of something or someone that is standing between you and the rock. And it is now time in Holy Week to take your shovel, cast it into the dirt, and cast it aside in an act of humility and repentance and an act of faith saying, Jesus, I build my entire life on you and your kingdom. I repent of all of the false ways that I have sought meaning and security, and I found my life completely on you. I have conversations in Lent with you, and here's what I hear. Father Aaron, I love and hate Lent all at the same time, but I mostly love it because Jesus is putting his finger on something that's standing in the way, and he's, and he's calling me to repent, and I'm seeing my sin in such a deeper way, and then I'm seeing God's grace in such a deeper way too. And it's the, it's the, it burns, and yet it's so sweet and I don't want anything else now. I feel the same way, my friends. Jesus is, is, is always, and, I, and, and Lent especially, pointing things out, Aaron, this needs to go. Aaron, you need to repent. Aaron, set your life and your hopes and your foundation on me. Those are the hardest and sweetest times that I have with Jesus, and all of us are called to have those times. It's a deep, excavating, excruciating, painful work And sometimes it looks like it's taking too long. Sometimes it feels like it's just taking too long. Can't we just get to the house already? Can't we just put up the walls and and build the man cave and put a, a chimney in and everything else? No, it's time to build, it's time to excavate the deep, deep foundation of repentance. On that foundation, what can Jesus build? Well, he can build the walls of discipleship. And these walls don't go up as fast. This is brick by brick, working with Jesus, where he teaches us, he fills us with his spirit, he fills us with his Father's blessing, and he says, hey, let's work together. I wanna show you how to love your enemy. It's gonna take longer than you think it will, but I'm gonna show you how to do it. You're gonna fail, but I'm gonna forgive you. I'm gonna show you how to do it. I'm gonna teach you to stop exploiting people sexually, and I'm gonna teach you how to be a life-giving person through your masculinity or your femininity. Hey, let me teach you how to suffer. Let me teach you how to receive from the Father. Let me teach you how to be a merciful and generous person Let me teach you how to live the Beatitudes and uh, be a light to the world. Let me teach you how to love your neighbor. And over time, Jesus begins to live his life through us. He begins to build these walls of discipleship and live his life through us and fill our entire structure 
with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's not just our life anymore. It's like there are two people here. There's Christ living his life through us in a deep and beautiful and vital union. That is what Jesus wants to do with us, to build the walls of discipleship. And on those walls, what does he put up? He places on us as a gift and in his time the fortified roof of service. The fortified roof of service. He allows us to be a shelter for other people. Our life can be, uh, our life can be actually a, a place that is safe and life-giving and nourishing to, to people who are in vulnerability, people who need our leadership, people who need our example. We can lay our life down for them. We can invite them in as a spiritual father would or a spiritual mother would. Hey, come rest. Come meet with Jesus here. We become, through that fortified roof of service, a temple, uh, God's temple where heaven and earth meet. Now, storms will still come. We're still in the path of the hurricane. There's still gonna be all kinds of, uh, of trials that come our way. There will be. You can count on it. But this house stands. The foolish house is flattened. But this house stands, and the good news is that every one of us can have a house like this. Every one of us can have a house that stands. No matter what happens, no matter who lets us down, there can be a solidness to our life so that the storms that come, you know what? Jesus doesn't just hold us, in those, uh, hold us up. He holds us in those storms. I was reading this week about, uh, uh, about different people who have held up under the storms that have passed their way through Jesus holding them, the, the, the rock, the cornerstone. Um, I read about an esteemed Christian leader this week. And uh, several decades ago, his wife contracted a mysterious illness. They didn't know what it was. And they spent all of their money on doctors. He was a college professor and a pastor. He didn't make a lot of money, but they did own a house. So to keep paying for all the medical bills, they sold their house. And here's what he said. he said. He said, God stripped us down to nothing. God took everything away. 